Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney, a 2X startup founder, a UCLA Bruin with a background in engineering and an economics degree, and twice a week we'll be discussing the products, tech, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous cars as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Friday, the 29th of March, 2019. This is episode 93, or if you prefer, episode 92, part 2. Because we're picking up where we left off last time. So hold on, wait for it. I've always wanted to say this. Last time on Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue. There we go. Um, yeah, we were in the middle of a conversation with Dr. Justin P. Shore, PhD and collision reconstruction expert. When we paused for the break, we were in the midst of a conversation regarding the potential need for electronically speed-limited vehicles. Well, before we pick up with the conclusion today, uh, Justin reached out to me pointing out that we all but anticipated such a move, as he shared with me an article over on CNN Business titled, Europe Will Require Car Makers to Install Speed Limiters from 2022. So without further more to say about this, let's dive in and get started. The final episode of our conversation with Dr. Justin P. Shore, PhD, begins now. Real quick, don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave it five stars and a review over on Apple iTunes podcasts. Um, follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. This now includes Reddit, finally. And don't forget to check out my video review of the Tesla Model 3 with Enhanced Autopilot. Just head on over to YouTube, search for Autonomous Hogue. Please subscribe while you're there, because once I get 100 subscribers, I can finally get my own custom YouTube URL. Right, thanks very much. Let's dive in. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Anyway, um, and the third issue is, of course, on that on that road is, is the issue of the truck drivers who are constantly sort of darting out to slowly pass one another and so on and so forth. So this is all kind of a roundabout way of suggesting. I'm not so sure that the speed is really the issue on its own. I don't know that limiting speed would matter that much, especially since, let's face it, if you crash at 60 or you crash at 80, chances are you're still going to die. Correct. But if you crash at 40 and you crash at, at 60 or 80, uh, there's there's a difference there. Just like with the, the case with Elaine Herzberg, if that crash happens at 20 miles an hour, the chances of survival go from 50, 15% to 85% for pedestrian versus 40 miles an hour. So, you know, you, momentum is momentum. Physics are, are, are always going to be physics, and momentum is speed times mass. Mass times velocity, yeah. <laughs> increase velocity, you, you're going you're gonna to generate more momentum. You're going to generate more force, and, and the – the crash is going to have uh, a, a better opportunity of resulting in an injury or a death. Sure. And now, and, and that's, that's, that's a, and see, it, everything brings up a tangent. That's, 
you know, the difference between crash worthiness and accident avoidance is another thing that I think is really poorly defined in, in what we talk about today. You know, the fact that uh, Teslas are, are great at, at 80 miles an hour, the, the person still survives, has nothing to do with the autopilot system, yet that's what Elon Musk, who I really, I, I respect him a lot. I just, I don't understand why he says some of the things that he knows not to be true or to be misleading uh, after these collisions occur. What do you Sorry mean, like, like what? I, after, after the first uh, death, the Michael Brown crash in, in Williston, Florida in 2016. This was the vehicle going on, this is the Tesla going underneath the truck trailer, correct? The first time, yes. Yeah, the, the first time, right. Yeah. Again last, last month. But yeah. um, that when he, he came out and he talked about, uh, or maybe it wasn't that one, it was when, when one of the, the vehicles crashed into one of the fire trucks. He comes out and he talks about how if this oh, was yeah. another at this speed, then the person would, would be dead. That, that has nothing to do with your autopilot system. Yeah, that's, that's a valid point, sure. Uh, I hear you there. So, you know, sorry for going off on a tangent, but, the, you know, the, some of these things, it just I, I, I can't wrap my mind around why uh, it's presented in the way it is. I mean, well, OK. I mean, again, I think this goes back to my question earlier, to which you had a perfectly sound response, which is what is the end game? I mean, I, I think maybe it just comes down to this notion of we, we, we just need to do everything we can as quickly as possible to get to that end game where I'm defining end game as essentially, you know, drastically reduced accident rate, injury rate, death rate. And frankly, I think the attitude of a lot of folks is, okay, the attitude of Elon especially is, let's just fast track this stuff as quick as possible. If things go wrong, oh, well, it's a necessary consequence of getting to that end game. Better we get there sooner with some trouble rather than dragging this on for decades and decades. I'm not saying that's right, but I think that's the point of view that a lot of people have. Well, and but the question is, is that the point of view of the OEMs? Because to me, the OEMs are most likely thinking, how do I sell the most amount of cars? And in this automated world where we're where we're sharing vehicles and, you know, we're reducing the fleet size by 85 percent. Well, there aren't going to be as many vehicles that can be sold. And essentially, a, a lot of the OEMs would likely go out of business. So I wonder, you know, that. Why, why would somebody like Elon Musk or, or, you know, GM or anybody else, why would they push this if they know it's going to result in somebody, uh, you know, somebody in the industry? That, do they all think it's going to be them that doesn't go out of business? Well, my understanding is that since you mentioned both Tesla and GM, my understanding is that they're both pushing for and ready to kind of pivot to a this car sharing future, right? I mean, isn't that certainly Tesla's plan with eventually a fleet of Tesla sort of uh, ride-sharing uh, fleet, and I think GM is doing the same with respect to the little Chevy Bolts through cruise automation, right? Isn't that where they're all headed? Yes, but you know, if we're reducing again, if 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 that that comes with a reduction in the fleet size, correct? I think True. that it's it's we can reduce it by eighty-five percent. So there aren't going to be as many opportunities for sales in that autonomous world. Why, why would every, everybody in the industry think that it's going to be them? I, I doubt it. Well, so, but there's other avenues, right? So, so one of the things that I think we've discussed a bit on the podcast anyway, is this notion of things like Motel 6 is going out of business, right? And the idea that I've suggested is, no, they're not going to go out of business. 
um, they're going to have their own fleet of Motel 6 branded autonomous pod cars. So you transform the whole notion of, you know, overnight freeway motel stops into just fall asleep, get from A to B in your little Motel 6 pod. Uh, right. So, so I think, I think, I think the point I'm going at with this is I think there's a use case to be made that say it's GM or Ford or Tesla or whomever, they're going to be able to sell, if not to individuals as they do now, which I think is addressing your point, right. But rather they'll be able to sell to all these other kind of more legacy type companies like motels to ensure they have some alternate form of revenue. Right. So the analogy I've given quite a bit in the past was if you go to say Strasbourg, just across from the French German border, you'll see a Lufthansa coach bus driving through town. Why? Because you can't land an A380 or a 777 in Strasbourg. Instead, you land it across the border in uh, Frankfurt, and then they shuttle you on a Lufthansa-branded shuttle bus. Same idea with these Motel 6s and other such companies, right? I think that's going to be the new revenue stream beyond just individual usage. Well, and I, I, agree, with, I agree with that. Uh, you know, especially, I, I love the point you make about Motel 6 in, in the other episodes. I, I think that that's exactly correct that if you know assuming that this is the world that we get to then i I think that that to me that seems you know like it would be the answer is that those companies would would absolutely do that but then you know when we're talking about that 85 percent reduction i'm sorry for going back to the number but if we're talking about that 85 percent reduction is that rolled up into that reduction or is that not included in that reduction? And now you're sacrificing some of the, you know, the assumed environmental benefits, which I don't think have been presented very clearly either. Uh, are those, are those what you're, you're sacrificing at the, um, you know, in, in order to, to sell the same amount of vehicles or, or close to it? And to be clear, when you say environmental, you mean literally environmental, like the environment itself, climate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I believe that that's the big selling point for the reduction in the fleet size and the movement to, to sharing. One of the, the big moves is that, well, you know, with with only 15 percent of the vehicles you have, you know, and if they're all electric, you're not going to have as, as many as emissions. You know, not only that, um, you're also not going to have all that brake dust flying around due to the regenerative braking of electric vehicles, which is sort of a cool secondary effect that I hardly ever see discussed anywhere. Maybe it's a trivial issue. I think it's probably a bigger issue than one might think. But yeah, the point is that that would be a big win, especially once we get all of our power from clean sources fundamentally. Um, and, and, that's, and that's where there's, there's no solutions, only trade-offs, right? Because then you have the issues with the cobalt and the lithium mining. And, right. And I, what- I actually was exactly going to go there. How, that to me is the big, I would say the biggest hurdle to overcome because that's catastrophic, right? I mean, so it's almost like every every solution isn't so much a solution as it is a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, uh, a shifting or a displacement elsewhere. <laughs> yep. And that's, that's the great line by Thomas Sowell right there. There are, only, there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. And I think well, that yeah. you, you can find other ones. You just look at it. You have... Uh, Increased mobility for the trans- transportation disadvantaged community. That that's a great goal. However, once you start adding more people into the into the eligible uh, traffic stream, well, your redu- your reductions in congestion are going to be sacrificed. And congestion is the number one thing that leads to the increased emissions. So it, it it's all. A, a bunch of goals that, that I haven't seen anywhere clearly articulated 
you know, these are the main goals. And if we can accomplish these other goals, that's great, but we're not going after them or, or something along those lines. I mean, I hate to state the obvious, but obviously good old fashioned congestion charging, right? Like London, Singapore, so many other cities, San Francisco, weirdly not doing it, desperately needs to do it. Um, I mean, that's combined with maybe not taxes per se, but say, uh, for instance, some sort of incentives to ensure that people do, in fact, make sure their, their, their cars are full of, you know, more than one passenger. Things like that should work. I mean, financial models do seem to work. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are, are you, so yes, I, I agree 100% that incentivizing people not to, to be in a car alone is likely the only way that they're ever going to get out of the car alone, um, unless you obviously make it cost prohibitive, which would, which would really be difficult to do. But then we have the issue of, are these vehicles parking or are they driving around? Well, that's my point. No, no, that's my point though. As long as they're incentivized never to drive around empty, right? So they get okay. like, right, they get, essentially they get a boat. So I, I don't think, I don't know if taxing is the right way to do it, but suppose, so, so maybe nothing happens if you're empty, but on the flip side, if you, if you drive around with, with uh, additional passengers, you, you get some cash bonus or something. I don't know. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that shouldn't, that, that shouldn't be too tricky to get right. I mean, isn't it something like already 70 or 80% of Uber and Lyft rides and SF in New York, aren't they already uh, the carpool version? Uh, I, that, that I am not, I am not sure of my, my few years in the private industry have restricted me from knowing, knowing such things as that. No, I, um, fair, fair enough, but I'm pretty sure it's certainly over 50% and it could be as high as 70 or 80. I, I don't know, but, but, but I mean, I think if that's true, then it certainly is promising at least for folks in big city. Look, I, I had a roommate down at UCLA whose family had one BMW M3 after the other and and my roommate always got his dad's former uh, model handed down to him, which was pretty nice. Suffice to say, this guy's a total car guy. He ended up moving to London. Then he ended up moving to New York. And this car guy hasn't owned a car since UCLA days. And uh, he loves it, you know? The two, maybe the two worst, uh, I guess, L.A. throw in there, but that is two bad cities. Well, L.A., you need a car almost, and then you can't get anywhere. But in New York and London... Not only do you not need one, it actually it's, it hurts you to have one. London yeah. really does do it the best, though, because their 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 court and pricing scheme, you know, it, it essentially says, okay, you you're gonna be priced out of driving here at some ring around this city, and and we just have to find which one it is, and and the balance in there. It's it's shocking to me that that no city in America really uses any sort of uh, a congestion pricing like that. Right, I mean, well, you have I mean, it. San Francisco almost implicitly does it, right? So at least if you're entering the city, say, from the Marin side of the Golden Gate, which is what, what we have to do here, I mean, first you've got the $6 bridge toll. Then if you want to park, even on a street meter, at peak hours, you're looking at something like, I want to say $7 an hour or something insane. So so there is sort of an implicit congestion charge. <laughs> I don't know. And, and look, when I was living in D.C., we had the, the HOT lanes on 495. Oh, yeah. 
they were, they were moving towards making, I think it is now 66 has become a, a toll road into the city. And you see, you see some roadways in some cities, but you don't have a coordinated effort, you know, that, that this city we are going to go to a full, a full congestion pricing where, you know, especially during peak hour, we're going to make this so damn expensive that you're going to take the metro or some other form of public transportation, and and that's how you're going to get into this city. Right, but again, that only works if you actually have adequate alternative transportation. Correct. Honestly, which, yeah, frankly, a lot of cities don't. I mean, people like to say, oh, San Francisco is great public transit. No, it doesn't, unless you happen to be exactly on the line, which covers, like, nothing. Um, and it, it's funny, having never been to San Francisco – I have been under the impression, uh, based on on research and and my experience in the industry, that you guys do have great uh, public transportation. It depends how you want to look at it. Um, I think in terms of actual rider count, it's probably pretty good, and it's certainly better than say somewhere in the Midwest, Midwest with no proper public transit, or say L.A. It's easy to pick on the Midwest, and for that matter, L.A. where I've lived. By the way, as an aside, you probably know this: the actual size of L.A.'s public transit is actually gigantic. It's just that the geographic size of L.A. is so ridiculously larger still that it doesn't matter. That's a very different thing entirely to, oh, there's no public transit. Absolutely. So, I, I was just there for the first time. That place is so – the sprawl is, is unbelievable how, how much area you got to cover out there. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, yeah. Um, I mean, I happen to love it. My most formative years were down there for, for, for school, obviously. But, but, but the point is, is I, I think as far as actual ridership, yeah, I think San Francisco is probably fine compared to a lot of – other cities, which, as I say, have no public transit. The point that I make is if literally just open Google Maps, turn on the transit layer, and you'll see what I mean. Geographically, the coverage, like where the actual, say, the BART lines run, there's just nothing there. And then people are going to say, oh, yeah, but we've got Muni, the surface buses. Yeah, it takes two hours to go from one side of San Francisco to the other on the bus. I'm exaggerating, like an hour and a half, whatever. I know this because I have friends who do this during commute hours. It's it's abysmal. Um so to say that you have it, that's fine, I guess. The issue is whether it's good, whether people enjoy it, whether it's nice. I've used public transit. I love it in cities in which it works great. Boston, New York-ish, <laughs> London, fantastic. Tokyo, fantastic. So I think there's a difference as between do you have it and is it actually good and do people enjoy it? Is it nice? And because, I think that yeah. we can tie this all back together a little bit here because in order for that to work, what I think that that – you need and what I hope that you'll see a little bit starting to come is more dedicated infrastructure. And I think that that's how you find an actual pathway to deploying um, some sort of autonomous service, whether it be buses or cars or, or, or whatever it may be, but you do it in the public domain and you, you specifically ban cars from, from the city. So this is awesome. So this is a perfect segue to a thing I wanted to ask you. So you may have heard me, frankly, complain a bit about this massive construction thing going on in San Francisco again. I'm sorry, I keep picking on SF, I guess, because I live nearby. Um, one of the major boulevards is called Van Ness. It's actually technically designated as the 101 freeway, but obviously it's a city street through the city. Um, they're, they're basically re- recreating the center lanes to make a dedicated high-speed bus, ra- bus lane. It's basically a train, which is effectively a bus with ordinary bus wheels and tires, but it's on a dedicated lane. So the idea is it travels as freely as a train, right? And so I'm yeah. thinking, okay, well, that's fine. But to the point that you just made, so I've, I've been thinking about it. I'm like, well, why don't we actually just kind of 
put, you know, this isn't really a chicken and egg problem because even once we have fully driverless cars, um, meaning level five uh, and even level four, why not, you know, it's not chicken and egg. We need the infrastructure first, as you just said. And so I'm thinking, well, why not be a bit more forward thinking? Why not make these lanes, the lanes which are dedicated for these level four and level five cars? You know, as I've said in previous episodes, I've said, you know, nobody ever looked at it at a, at a bus with overhead electrical wires or at a train and thought to themselves, hmm, this is super limiting. Geo-fenced doesn't need to be geo-limited. It's kind of liberating rather than limiting because you just look at those and you think, okay, well, they're going to work in all these places. And then that would be great. And so why not do that forward thinking, set up lanes in cities now so we can deploy these things as soon as they're ready, which will be pretty soon. Why not just use the lanes that we already have and tell people to stop driving their cars on them? And I'm not being facetious, facetious there. I, I think that that if you want to move towards that, I, I think that if if you believe so, the technology <laughs> is there, why not just go for it rather than than these road diets and adding these bikes? So so that's yeah, that that's actually I, I'm yeah okay I'm with you there. I mean as a bit of anecdotal counterpoint. So I've often found it a bit ironic that the car city of L.A weirdly has this pretty spectacular third street promenade in Santa Monica, which is several blocks of pedestrian. Oh, only. You have? That's, that's where I stayed when I was ah, out there. Oh, right there you go. Okay. Okay. So, so, but I find it very ironic then that San Francisco, which is admittedly more pedestrian centric, doesn't have a single pedestrian only street anywhere. This always kind of blows my mind. And, and so um, even Rodeo drive in Beverly Hills was about, there was a proposal a few years back to make that pedestrian only Funny thing is they opted out of it, I, as I understand it, because it would part of its symbolism and its allure are all the Bugattis and Rolls Royces you see parked on Rodeo Drive, but that's neither here nor there. To, to your point, yeah, but we can't even get a pedestrian-only street. The idea of getting a an autonomous car-only street, gosh, yeah, sure, why not? I've even suggested just deleting certain intersections on certain boulevards to help speed those up. I, I, I think that... that- you are on to, I think you have to make a decision at some point. Are you going this direction? Are you, are you going to make a left or are you going to make a right? Because with, with all the trying to accommodate everybody, then, then nobody ends up being happy. I think that, that it's going to take a, a probably a smaller city that, that's very forward looking that's going to say, look, we're going to make a 20-year effort to rededicate land use so that the city is sectioned off a lot better where the restaurants are in one area, the, the businesses are in one area, the housing's in one area, blah, blah, blah. And then to get in between those areas, you have spe- you, you dedicate specific roadways to being specific types of transportation. Uh, I, I think that you solve a lot of problems that way. Uh, all you do is piss a lot of people off in the, in the short term. <laughs> I mean, as ridiculous as it sounds to say it, but as a guy who grew up playing SimCity, you're exactly right. You rip out a bunch of roads eventually and you replace them with high high volume transit because of course you do. Um, yeah, I mean I'm I'm all for that. And you know if and again I'm not saying that that this is something I want or or desire, but if if I was if I was in charge of making this happen, I, I think that I'd get to a point eventually where the only thing you can do is is really go all in on this because if you don't. I think that you you put people at risk, you delay what could be potential, you know, life-changing safety benefits for, for society. And 
in, you're, you're, you're restricting your ability to move forward into the future. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. So I just realized uh, we, we, we've managed to do an awesome job of going way over our estimated 30 minutes. So why don't we cap it at 60, I suppose. I know you said before we jumped on this on this call that you wanted to discuss a bit more about that dreaded trolley paradox and to kind of build on a prior discussion I'd done a few months ago regarding the so-called reasonable prudent person standard, but as applied to AI, so the reasonable prudent AI or reasonable prudent autonomous vehicle. Did you want to dive into that a bit, touch on that a little bit? You know, I I think 50 minutes, if if people are actually listening, good for them. But, but I think the trolley one, I I've been, you know, from the start, I was, I was with you before we, we even started speaking to one another that, that I thought it was a ridiculous thought experiment that, that was more suited for a classroom than an actual real world <laughs> debate. But, but as I said earlier, to the extent that, that the people who are writing the software and the OEMs and the general public think that it is important to have some sort of ethical programming in a vehicle, well, if you have vehicles that are programmed in any way to sacrifice the operator, I think that precludes some people based on their religion from getting in those vehicles in the first place. And you get into a really interesting place where, you know, depending on the ethics of the vehicle are, is an Orthodox Jew allowed to get in a vehicle that's going to sacrifice the operator at any time? Okay. Wow. So, so this is about to blow up super philosophically, but I got to ask the obvious question. I mean, uh, um, gosh, I don't even know where to start. Uh, I mean, but but every time we get into any taxi or Uber or Lyft, we're always at the mercy of that driver's ethical programming, as it were, right? And I think it's safe to say that most drivers, I, I think it's safe to say that most drivers in an emergency situation will do whatever it takes not to strike another pedestrian. I don't know about another car, but certainly another pedestrian, even to the extent that it may injure themselves in their own car, right? And so... Uh, well, this is, and again, since we're we're in the philosophical realm, I think that that's where you get into the discussion that that, to tell you the truth, I'm not I'm not religious enough to to really have it. But is that what does does God trust a human more than God trusts a computer, and does God view those two differently from one another? My guess is that that the argument would be, well, you know, if it's a human, God's okay with that. If it's a computer, probably not, because well, that's it's interesting cool. because. I mean that's that's super interesting comment because obviously if we again look at the the end game here, one day, I think the projections are what twenty ish years from now, AI will exceed human sort of mental capacity insofar as being able to make independent decisions, right? Isn't that kind of what they're saying twenty thirty years out from now? So at some point, it won't be a matter simply of us programming ethics as it were, which again should be not allowed because. You just can't and you shouldn't and you mustn't. But at some yeah, point, if AI is logically at that end point where it is effectively, I hate to use the word, but at some point it will occur, at the point at which it's effectively conscious or at least able to 
then be doing its own things in the same way that a human driver is making its own decisions, right? So it's all Turing test all over again. If you can't tell whether you're being driven by a human or a computer, you can't tell whether you're talking or chatting with a human or a computer, what difference does it make kind of a thing, right? And, you know, again, this is, it's beyond me. I, I simply, <laughs> you and me both. I simply had the thought that I was, I was reading an article, uh, you know, about some of the, the potential issues. And there was a, a, something that sparked the thought that, that to me, you know, you start to get into really tricky waters there with regards to, to what is, what's allowed from a religious perspective in terms of, you know, getting in a vehicle that could potentially, could potentially decide that, you know, the, the value of the life that it would hit is more valuable than your life. And I, I got to shout out to Martin there because he did the best job of articulating why the trolley problem is such a, you know, is, is, is so silly at this point when he said that, you know, if you program ethics from the start, you're, you've already crossed the line. You've already crossed already, the line, right. Mm -hmm. yeah, I thought that that was great. And, I, I, you know, again, this is, uh, this is a, a discussion that I bet Joe Rogan and Elon Musk could have had during their, uh, their little talk. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's true. I mean, it, it does get super uh, – oh, by the way, just a quick aside for those of you wondering. So Martin is a reference to – PhD Martin Adler. He was a guest on our show, uh, episode 69, back in November of last year. It's a really fascinating discussion. If you haven't listened, I recommend you check it out. Um, yeah, so so I have to say that that was a thing I didn't know. I, I didn't realize that there was an issue insofar as, as you say, you know, if there's a chance the driver of a vehicle could cause the occupants to be harmed or killed, that that's, that's a religious issue there. I didn't know that was the case. Um, which then, yeah, raises a really interesting question. What, what happens with human drivers generally? I mean, how does one know that that may not occur? Um, it, it really gets into a, a tricky and interesting area. And, and like I said, that's, uh, it, it was probably a bad joke I made earlier, but I was alluding to the fact that you probably need to be stoned to, to come up with anything that's going to be reasonable there. <laughs> this is interesting. Wow. Yeah. That, so this is why this stuff is so great, right? It literally spans all realms of study, of academics, of science, of philosophy. It's just awesome. And I think it's it's so it's great to be able to have these types of discussions. I mean, the fact that you and, and I have, too, of course, you know, just just by discussing this this topic and and that you know we can find each other's thoughts on it. So interesting. This this is such a a broad topic that impacts everybody. I think that these discussions are, are really how we move the ball forward, at least in the, in the short term. Here. It impacts them. All right. Like to the tune of almost one hour of us rambling on about this stuff. So <laughs> we should probably wrap it up, but I do certainly hope everyone's enjoyed it. Um, I got to say, man, at least from my point of view, I think this has been pretty swell. This has been awesome. I, I didn't even realize an hour had elapsed. This I know. I, I, I can't believe actually this is, this is awesome. Um, well, look, if you have any closing thoughts, I'm all ears. I, I think that, that we, we've said all that, that we need to say in this, uh, in this podcast here. I just thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure. Let me, let me close it out with one thought. I think I mentioned this offline on a few occasions. Um, you know, you just mentioned Martin, uh, and I think we discussed a little bit. I think it would be pretty cool to have all of us do a joint discussion at some point, all meaning you, Martin, uh, Felix, uh, this would be pretty cool. I think something we should try and sync up for some other time. 
So I, I, I would I would really enjoy that. That those those guys are absolutely brilliant, and I love hearing what they have to say. Yeah, and meanwhile, there's a certain Joe Rogan would be kind of need to loop in at some point as well, as we may have chatted about. <laughs> I, I think that that's that's the ultimate right there, right? Say, say it again. I think I think that's the ultimate is to to finally have Rogan get a, a decent discussion on on the the deeper aspects of, of the autonomy rather than the surface ones that he's I had. I think so. that would be a lot of fun. That would be awesome. All right, man. Well, cool. Look, thank you so much. It's been great having you on. Uh, we will talk again soon. Uh, thank you very much, Mark. Have a great one. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye.